Good morning. There it is. All right. So I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we get to talk about dating this morning. We're in the midst of a, a series called Him and Her. So it's really exciting. Um, I, I just want to say right from the get-go that there are going to be things I say that you disagree with, and that's okay, because I disagree with you, you disagree with me, great. Um, so there's that. Uh, second thing is, you're going to wish that I said more things about something in particular than I did, and I'm so sorry, but we only have a certain amount of time, and the reason why I don't go into great uh, depths in certain questions or areas is because we've already covered it in the series or we are going to cover it. So, so far we've dealt with image of God, that we're made in the image of God. We've dealt with masculinity, him, femininity, her. We've dealt with sexuality, uh, we've dealt with gender. Today we're doing dating. Next week we're doing singleness. Uh, and then we're doing uh, marriage, sex, porn. There's a lot left. So that's where we're at. And uh, afterwards, I'm going to try and make myself available for question and answers. Uh, come find me. I'll be out there in one of the vacant areas, all right? And, uh, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. I'm going to pray again because I just don't want to say anything dumb today. Francois didn't pray that Dwight wouldn't say anything dumb, so I'm going to pray I don't say anything dumb, all right? Uh, Lord, thank you that you have given us this time together. Uh, thank you for all the things that we've heard already this morning that... My mind was thinking so much about what it means to be in your presence one day around your throne that you say that, that there, there are these rainbows around your throne showing the peace that you have offered out to your people, that we will get to be, one day be in your presence, and that excites me so much. And yet, you're also present here with us, that we have to go places to be there, but you're here with us. You're here. You're, you're everywhere. Everywhere is here to you, and that's amazing to me. But Lord, I truly don't want to say anything dumb this morning, so would you protect uh, my mouth from doing that? Uh, we love you. We're all in different places. Uh, some of us don't believe in you. Would you change our hearts? Some of us um, are far from you and have been far from you. Would you show us how close you are to us? And would you give us a way forward uh, this morning? And thank you that dating isn't just for singles, uh, but it's, it's for those who are married as well. Would, would you cause us who, who, are, who are married to keep dating our spouse and loving them well? So we, we really need you for this morning. Amen. Dating. Uh, so fun to talk about this. Um, you know, honestly, I think that, that speaking on gender sometimes is easier because the Bible has a lot to say about gender. And if you heard the passage that was read, that's a really weird passage to use for dating, all right? But that's about the best there is, okay? So I'll, I'll get to that passage in just a second, but when I was uh, about 24, uh, I was thinking about dating, became a Christian when I was 23, thinking about dating, what does this look like for me? Uh, I really, truly, honestly, uh, really wanted to go and somewhere and a tribal place in Africa, somewhere like Papua New Guinea, and just die and be with Jesus before I turned 25. I was obsessed with him. So thinking about dating, someone was like, I, I don't know if I want to do that because that means I'll, I'll have to get married and I'm thinking about being with Jesus before I turn 25. That's me, all right? I'm not all put together or I'm very put together. Depends how you look at that. But 
I remember speaking with my pastor, his name was Mark, and I said, uh, Mark, I, I think that God is, is actually leading me to, to not go to some tribal place, but to go to a place called Quebec. I am from Portland, Maine. Uh, I'm now Canadian, so I can say I'm a Canadian and, and a Quebecer, all right? So I don't have to apologize for being a U.S. citizen anymore. But I remember saying to my pastor, um, man, I, I'm, all this, I'm in all this complication with dating and thoughts, and, and I, I sounded like a drama king, all right? because you can masculine that, all right, drama king. And he just looked at me, he said, man, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, just listening to you. I'm so glad that my mind doesn't have to be in that space anymore, right? He was just saying, I'm so glad to be married. I'm so glad to be, to be over that. And so my mind, that was really good in one sense. But in another sense, I'm like, man, I don't wanna be in this craziness anymore either. How do I get to that place? And that's what we can do as a church. We can make it that to be married is like the varsity, the first class people, to be single. Like we give you a whole ministry to yourself. Like go do singles ministry, go do whatever. And we've relegated the singles to some second class place. And that's just not biblical. Being single is not second place. And I know Jordan is gonna talk about this next week, but if you say single is second class, then you send Jesus and Paul out of the big boys and big girls room, right? So being single is something that for us as a church, we embrace, we love the fact that, that you are single, even though you might not love it. And I'll get to a little bit of how not to waste your, your singleness. But, but dating is full of drama, tons of it. There's lots to say about that, but I'm gonna have to be brief this morning in certain things so that I can get to the main things. And I'm being honest, there are two sermons right now that are here. And I don't know which one, how this is gonna go exactly, but we're gonna get to one of them, hopefully. Um, as I said, at the end, we'll have questions and answers, all right? So dating, dating looks different in every culture. Some cultures, they call it arranged marriages. I'm going to India in a few weeks and uh, they... They ask me when I go there, what is it like to have a love marriage? Or they tell me how unbiblical I am because I had a love marriage. And they talk about their arranged marriages. And divorce rates there amongst the Christian community are pretty small. They're pretty small. And so we say, oh, arranged marriages are so oppressive, but they work. They work in the majority of cases. It just takes time to get into them. So some cultures say dating not really dating, it's like sitting with mom and dad and looking at their profiles they, they have of who they wanna hook you up with, and that's dating. Others, uh, most in the West who are dating, have thought at least about some sort of dating app. So Tinder and uh, is Bumble, isn't that one? I did so much research, I'm like mixing up, mixing up things in my mind. Uh, there's a new one for people in New York City called Bounce, and this one says, our generation is so non-committal that we're gonna force you to make a commitment. So you can only look at someone's profile right before you go on a date with them. So it's like you're forced within an hour and a half to go and see them. You don't have a lot of time to think about it. But dating apps, it's a big thing. And that's dangerous in one sense, beautiful in another. Okay, the beauty we'll look at in a bit, dangerous because you could turn this into a game. You could reduce someone made in the image of God to a profile like, I don't like their nose, swipe left, or whatever. I don't know which way you swipe. I'm not into the swiping thing. Um, taken. I'm not on the market anymore, all right? But we reduce people down to this little profile. Speed dating, that's a thing. Um, we reduce people down to two minutes. You wanna feel pressure, 
right? Give me your best sales pitch that I should stay with you forever. Two minutes, go. Oh, and this is like a good idea. These things are selling out. It's crazy. Um, our culture also has expressed courtship. And so you're like, I have no idea what that is. Uh, courtship actually is this beautiful thing if done not in a crazy way. Uh, so courtship is like, you pretend you're married in a way before you're married. The, the Bible talks about being betrothed. So it's like you're kind of married. You're taking everything really seriously because you're planning on getting married unless something absolutely tragic or chaotic comes up. So uh, cultures, we have all kinds of different expressions on how we date, but I don't want to talk about those this morning. I want to ask this question. As soon as it comes on the screen, I'm going to ask it. Oh, it'll be awesome. There we go. Is dating biblical? This is fun, right? Is dating biblical? And I would say not explicitly. There's no Bible and verse that will, uh, Bible and verse, there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that tells you exactly how to date. But most of us view dating as preparation for marriage. Dating is not meant to be a cul-de-sac where you just like keep hanging out. There's no exit out. That, that sounds horrible. Right, so, so dating is this preparation for marriage. It's like an on-ramp to the highway of being together forever. And so while dating might not be explicitly biblical, marriage is extremely biblical. And I don't wanna go into a lot of that because Brian's gonna cover that in a few weeks. But let me say this, and I know that I should define all these, but you can go back and listen to the podcast, Church 21, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, I'll come preach it again in your house if you want me to. Um, you, can, you can listen, you can get the content later. But here's what we believe marriage to be, that it's between a man and a woman. We believe that the Bible's very clear about that, and you might disagree, but I would say don't check out. Don't check out because you disagree with one thing, okay? So we believe that, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And we believe that that marriage is not this thing so you get a tax break or this thing so that you have someone to watch Netflix with for the rest of your life or someone to go on, on cool vacations with. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. I know we're allergic to that word, uh, commitment, I don't know, right? But it's a covenant. It's committing our lives to love one another and serve one another, even when marriage sucks, even when we don't even want to be married anymore. It's a commitment and a covenant that goes beyond our feelings. And ultimately, marriage is really about Jesus. So Ephesians 5, uh, 31 and 32, a letter written by Paul. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father, mother hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's from the book of Genesis, beginning of the Bible. This mystery is profound, so he's unlocking the mystery of what marriage is all about. I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. So a man and woman coming together really is pointing to a better marriage of Jesus being with his church one day. The book of Revelation at the end of the Bible talks about Jesus being presented with his bride, which is the collective people of God. And for some guys like, ah, I don't like that illustration. I'm not a girl. Okay, get over it. It's a beautiful illustration in a sense that Jesus is brought with his people collectively. Uh, the only time that I cry at a wedding is when I'm performing a wedding. I go to weddings for the receptions. They're, they're awesome. Wedding, weddings are fun. Um, but I love getting to perform weddings. And 
when the, they open up the doors and the bride starts to walk down the aisle, I'm bawling. So if you're ever at a wedding, I'm doing like, I'm, I'm full on crying in that moment because I'm, I'm not like, I know it could be nice that I'm thinking about the couple. I'm not thinking about the couple at all. I'm thinking about Jesus being presented with his bride. And, and that gets my heart. That I'm like, Jesus, you are pursuing your people in such a way that you love them so much that they're gonna be presented to you one day and will be with you forever. This is just a picture of that. That this is what marriage is all about. This is actually what dating is about. So if your thought of dating doesn't end up thinking about Jesus and his bride being presented together, your thought of dating is too low because that's why dating really exists is to one day point to this picture of Jesus being presented with his bride. So even though dating might not be explicitly biblical, the Bible does give lots of wisdom for dating that's informed by marriage. So here's what I'm gonna try and do. I'm gonna try and get through uh, this first part rather quickly. I'm gonna give us some, some steps uh, on how to prepare uh, for marriage how to prepare through dating. And then I'm gonna hopefully have enough time to do Q&A. If we don't have enough time to do Q&A at the end, oh, by the way, I prepared the questions from questions that you engaged with me uh, on through Facebook, uh, my personal page, and the church's page. So I will answer your questions that you have. Um, so here we go. Bible gives lots of wisdom. Here's one piece of it. Song of Solomon. I read Song of Solomon on Valentine's Day. If you're married, this is a great thing to read on Valentine's Day. Leave it at that. Uh, Song of Solomon 2, verse 7. This woman speaking. So Song of Solomon is a song between a man, Solomon, and his bride, to be bride. And then there's these other people, this chorus, these others, which I've always thought is really weird, but it makes sense. Okay, so this is the woman speaking. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, so ladies, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that's important. Um, now, gazelles and does being sexual beings, all right? Song of Solomon is very sexual. Some people have made weird things about the Song of Solomon. It's like, no, it's about the people being brought to the breast of the word. It's like, nope, that's not it. When Solomon was talking about breasts, he was not talking about the Bible, all right? He was talking about those. So, uh, so it's very sexual. You think that God is this prude? One, he created sex. Two, he wrote a whole book about it. All right, there's that. Sex is coming later on in the series. I'll, I'll refrain. That you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases or until it's time. So here's the first thing that the Bible would say about dating. The first thing the Bible would say about dating is that sexual activity is not part of pre-marriage. Part of your pre-marriage counseling with us would never be, so this week, go have sex with one another, tell us about the chemistry, and we'll figure out if you're good for one another. That's not it. What this lady is saying, just about to go into the chambers with her new husband, she says, oh, ladies, don't awaken love emotionally sexually, physically, until it's ready to go. Don't get on the on-ramp until you're able to get on the highway all the way. And that's in the covenant of marriage, 
right? She's very clear to say that in the Song of Solomon. Uh, Paul, as he's talking in, in Ephesians chapter five, verse three, he says, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. And that's like a junk drawer, big term, anything sexual. And some of you have asked, well, what is sex? What do you think sex is? Whatever you think sex is, don't participate in that. And probably don't participate in all the other things that you maybe think might not be there. So that includes everything, right? Don't awaken love until it's time. We'll get into more of this as we keep going. Second piece would come from 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, this is a command that's bigger than marriage. He's not just speaking into the context of marriage, but surely Paul is including this. Yoke, this is a, uh, an oxen word right? That you would put a yoke onto two oxen and they would plow your field or tow your carriage or do whatever oxen do. That you're not to, it would be really weird to be like, hey, baby oxen and big daddy oxen, come and play together. There's not a yoke for that. Like daddy oxen is going to fall on baby oxen and die. I guess ox, I should just say ox, not oxen at that point. Anyway, get the singular plural mixed up. So you shouldn't dig a daddy ox, baby ox, because it'll just not end well for baby ox. All right, the same way Paul is saying, don't be yoked with someone who's obsessed with Jesus, wants Jesus for everything with someone who doesn't. Even someone who's like, yeah, maybe I'd be okay raising kids that might like Jesus someday. Paul's like, no, this is a recipe for disaster. So is it wise to enter into potential marriage with someone who doesn't yet love Jesus? No, no. We'll get into missionary dating in a little bit, all right? So 1 Corinthians 9, 5. I know I'm going fast, all right? And I'm doing this intentionally. Do we not have the right? This is Paul saying again. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is Peter. Paul is saying, come on, church. Don't you know that we have a right? If we wanted to have a wife, we could have one, but Paul was single. Paul's single. Now notice what he says about the wife. He's not like, don't I have the right to take the hottest woman that I find in the villages that I go to? Don't I have the right to find the most intellectually uh, woman in the city that I, I'm leading this thing in? No, it's believing. Don't I have the right to have a believing wife? This means a wife that finds her everything in Jesus. Someone that's been rescued by Jesus, is obsessed with Jesus, wants to, to point Paul back to Jesus. He's saying, I do have a right to take a believing wife, but Paul chose singleness. So it's clear the type of marriage that Paul has in sight for everyone. That should be those who follow Jesus with those who follow Jesus. And the last passage I'll use this morning is the doozy that we read before. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. I think I too have the spirit of God. So there's a couple things I wanna say here. First, this is a widow, which means that this is someone who's now free from the covenant that she was in with her husband before. This is not a good thing. This is a sad thing. This is a sad thing. And so Paul is giving her instruction. 
that she is free to marry whomever she would. But there are two principles at play here. Number one is the surprising thing, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Now, I don't know if that's Paul's commentary on men. Probably not, Um, but we'll keep going. First principle is you could remain single. So I'm gonna apply this to those of you who are single. You can remain single. This is a legitimate thing. As I said, singles are not second-class citizens. In fact, in the kingdom of God, you have more time, often more resources, more uh, attention that can be spent toward doing ministry full-time than someone who's married. So, remaining single. Now, let me say this. I know most of you will date, or you've already dated. Um, Dating is a potentially great way to waste your singleness. You say, oh, this is counterproductive, isn't it? Like if I'm single and I wanna be married, shouldn't I date? Well, hear this out. Dating is, is a potential way to waste your singleness. Singleness might only last for a season. It might last your entire life. I don't know. But the, the calling is to, to be a follower of Jesus in whatever situation you are, wherever you are at all times. So let me give you a few things. I know Jordan will be preaching on this completely next week. But here's, here are some dangers in wasting your singleness. That you are just waiting to get out of single hell. That you think that being single is punishment. It is like being in hell. You're experiencing loneliness. You don't have anyone to go to Julia and Chocolat with. You don't have anyone to watch Netflix with. You're tired of watching rom-coms by yourself and not admitting it because you're a guy on Valentine's Day. You're tired of buying yourself flowers. Whatever it is, you're just tired of it. And you're like, this is a hell that I'm in. And my savior will be some man or some woman that will come along and bring me out of hell and into couple heaven. Well, listen to this. And before I say this, I searched hard to find who this quote is from and I couldn't find it. So I might've made it up. If you think it's brilliant, it's from me. If you think it's not, it's definitely from someone else. Um, so here it is. If we see sex and marriage as ultimate, We will live our single lives with a woe is me, Eeyore-like mentality, sadly waiting for Prince Charming or Princess Cinderella to enter our lives and rescue us from our ministry. Our lives, hold on. You are forgetting this moment. Eer like mentality, sadly waiting for Prince Charming or Princess Cinderella to enter our lives and rescue us from our misery. Our lives will become, uh, so there you go, will, not with. That was dumb of that author to make a with there. <laughs> An idiot. Uh, we'll be, thank you for taking it. Remove it, remove it. Uh, our lives will become so consumed with the weight and with what we are missing out on that we will overlook the whole point of singleness. The point is not to be obsessed with our lack of sex or our lack of spouse. The purpose of singleness, as with any stage in life, is to experience the fullness of life, which means enjoying God and others. You can actually miss out on what God has for you in your singleness by feeling like you're just missing out. The second danger is that someone becomes your world. You're waiting for someone to become your world. They finally become your world in in dating and, and your sight becomes obscured. 
like a horse with blinders. I've seen really smart single people become really dumb daters. They're like so intelligent, like look at my PhD, DD. Like I put extra Ds on my PhD, right? And then it's like, oh, she's pretty. Like I can't even say pretty right anymore. And all of a sudden, like all logic reason goes out the door. It's no longer there. Because your sight's obscured, you're in love. You got butterflies and all those things moving in you. You're feeling the feelings, right? And, and you so easily move into intimacy and talking about future and like what your weird kids are gonna look like. When they're born at one level, they're all gonna look like aliens, okay? Just, just embrace it, all right? They're not gonna be super cute, and, but you're talking about it and you're making these weird things and you're scrapbooking together. You're doing strange things you never thought you'd do because they become your world. And what you do is you end up secluding yourself. Nobody understands us. And you say no to community. It's just about you and that person. And I think this is why the crowd is there in Song of Solomon. Not to like root them on as they're doing stuff, but to be the community that's saying, yes, now is the time. Like go, go into the chambers, go do what you were made to do. A community is a protection for you. And yet so many of you will start dating and you'll, you'll just say, no, people don't understand. Someone will ask you a hard question. Did you see the way that, that guy looks at other girls? No, you just don't understand him. He has a lazy eye. He only has a lazy eye when girls walk by that look like that. <laughs> that's, that's not a lazy eye. That's a very active eye, all right? Like, and you, you choose not to believe things that the community is saying. You seclude yourself. Here's another danger in how to waste your singleness. Um, you hitch yourself to someone until someone better comes along. You put a time limit on this person. You're like, I'll give this one three months. If someone better doesn't come along, well, then I'll see where this goes. I bet she or he feels so loved. And yet this is what people do. This isn't a joke. Dating isn't a chance to try out many people. Do you realize that you're just harming hearts? It's like, give me your heart for three months. Let me poke around on it and prod on it. And we'll see if you can outlast my gauntlet. And yet this is what dating is. Here's what happens when you date someone. It should be like you walk in a room, and this is weird, I know, uh, but it's like you walk in a room and there's the person's heart in, in a glass jar. And you take that down carefully. And if it doesn't work out with you and that person, you should be able to take that heart and put it back in the room better than when you took it off. That the person that dates that person after or marries that person, that would be really weird if they did, all right? They should be able to come back to you and be like, thank you for investing in my spouse the way that you did. That should be what dating is like. Uh, and, and then one of the last dangers is this. Uh, another slide, please. Here we go. It's gonna be a good one. Anticipation's killing me. Um, there we go. So we are so accustomed to disguise ourselves to others that in the end, we become disguised to ourselves. In the process of dating and wanting to, to meet people's standards, you can easily end up losing yourself. And so you end up not being you. This happens all the time in marriages. People pretend and play and someone likes your pretend version of you. But then one day, you like greatest showman, you're like, this is me, look out, cause here I come. Like, who is this person? I don't know who you are. It's like, I have hidden for three years behind this. It's like, but that's who you told me you were. Well, that's not who I am anymore. 
And this is real. This really happens. That we forget who we are. And then later on, we're tired of pretending because one day you'll look at your spouse and you'll be like, I'm not pretending anymore. Like mask off. This is who I really am. That will happen. And I'm not saying be a jerk, (laughs) like from the beginning, like, well, you're gonna get it now. This is me right away. (laughs) Not that, not that. But that we disguise ourselves, trying to get people to love us and approve of us, that we don't even know who we are anymore. And so if you change yourself for someone, okay, hear this. If you change who you are for someone, it will leave you bitter with them later. You'll be bitter that they don't love the real you, but you never actually gave them the real you. These are ways to waste your your singleness. The second thing that Paul says, though, in 1 Corinthians 7.39, is not just to be single, but um, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So this is where there's no missionary dating. In the Lord means those who love Jesus, those who have submitted their lives to Jesus and not just like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. Like this is gonna work out well. It's like, do you worship Jesus? Are you generous like like Jesus? Do you wanna raise kids that would honor King Jesus? Do you want kids at all? And is that for good reasons because you wanna honor Jesus with the calling that you have in your life? There's no missionary dating. There's no missionary marriage. It doesn't work. Yes, I know, you'll give me an example. We have examples in our church of how that actually worked, but none of them would say, do what we did. In fact, they would say, don't do what we did. Uh, my wife and I, we, we moved to the West Island a few years ago uh, to plant a church uh, that's up and going, it's going well. We moved back downtown in October. Um, while we were out there, we were working with someone, great leader, like attracted all these non-Christians towards Jesus. So I had all these meetings with people that didn't love Jesus because they met this guy. He was connecting us, going amazing. Well, here's, it's a very long story. Short story is one day this guy, he and I had a lunch and he was talking about this girl. And I'm like, oh, but that girl, she, she doesn't love Jesus. He's like, yeah, 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 I know. I know she doesn't love him yet, but, but like, you know, I've heard her pray once before. I'm like, oh, okay, like that's nice. But like, what, what are your intentions with this girl? Well, I'd, I'd really like to, to date her and see where it goes. And I'm like, you'd like to date her or you are dating her? Well, I mean, I guess kind of I am dating. I'm like, okay, so you're a leader with us. And here are the moments, right, where I become fearful. I do, I become fearful. Because I'm like, I know what I'm going to say has a potential to destroy what we've been working on. The easy thing is to be like, oh, bro, do whatever you want, man. I'm sure, let's pray, let's fast for her to become, a, just get married. Like, go do it. Like, you're bringing in non-Christians who are interested in Jesus. You're moving this thing along, right? This conversation is going to have an impact. And I said, my friend, you're wrong in what you're doing. And I laid out why. And truly, over half of the people we were engaged with left the church, left our project that we were involved in. And I'm like, oh, why did you do that, Dwight? Why did you bring truth to this person? Like you ruined your little plan. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but my plan is for his heart to be mine. I'm like, ah, but why did you have to use our project for that? Why couldn't you have done it a different way? Speak to him in a dream or something. Don't ruin my dream. Oh, my dreams are my dreams, not your, like, this is all weird, right? Anyway, the story's about him, not me. Uh, So I watched this guy walk away. Very disheartened with me. 
and wanting to make the word of God fit with him. And he was no longer part of our church. And then he didn't want anything to do with me, okay? And then I find out, actually two weeks after our conversation, he was convicted about that and broke off the relationship, right? Because he came to understand there is no such thing as missionary dating. You can't be all in for Jesus and be all in for her or be all in for him. It doesn't work like that. Only in the Lord. And I would say this, theology is so important. You can't just say, oh, you love Jesus? Oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian too. This is gonna be amazing. Like, you asked you ask my wife about the questions that I'm asking. I'm like, so um, Calvinism, Arminianism, where are you at in that? What? I'm like, oh yeah, like, because if we're gonna have kids, do we believe that um, when they meet Jesus, that they're gonna be eternally secured in him or that they could lose that salvation? That's a really important thing. Uh, what's your view on complementarianism, egalitarianism? That's a big thing. What's your view on giving? What's your view on the church? What's your view on church planting? Uh, what's your view on the end times? What's your view on, like, there's so many things. So I would encourage you to go uh, to Desiring God. Dot org, I think it is, and just type in this. Uh, questions to ask when preparing for marriage. And if you're not, don't do it now. Like, I just lost you all. You're like, oh, okay, this guy's getting boring anyway. John Piper, speak to me, all right? Just write it down for later. Um, but you, as you're beginning to date, you need to have theological discussions. Like, take out Bibles, disagree, you're like, oh, but I don't want to disagree. It's better to disagree before you get married than to realize you disagree about these things after you're married. It's easier to say we shouldn't do this than to say we shouldn't have done this. I tell couples in pre-marriage counseling, the last session is about sex. We do it about a week before they're going to get married for specific reasons because we talk a lot about sex. And I say there's still time to not do this. And they just look at me funny, like, why would you tell us that? And I'm like, because you're not married yet. If something's come up, end it now or postpone it, then enter into it. Theology is important. So that's, that's my theological piece, all right? So why all this restriction? You could be sitting here being like, man, this is so restrictive. No sex for marriage. Um, this is all about... Um, Jesus, uh, this unequal oxen, ox, baby ox thing, like why am I being yoked, believing wife, uh, free to be single or could be, what is all this about? Why this restriction? I would say actually it's a freedom. That if you're a follower of Jesus, these scriptures are freeing you up to continue to be a follower of Jesus as you're dating, being engaged, married, or as you spend the rest of your life single, you are free to be who you are in Jesus. You don't have to compromise that for someone else. Your deepest identity as a child of God can and should be expressed in all of its fullness for all of time. Here's what I'm talking about. That you are so bad. I am so bad. So broken. Francois talked about uh, like this progression in maturity as a Christian is not like I'm wearing better clothes. I'm not saying bad words. I'm not giving fingers. I shouldn't be giving to people anymore or not as much, right? I'm really growing. It's like, no, that's not growth. It could be growth. But the growth is that you realize that you need Jesus more today than you did yesterday. You realize that there's no, more parts of you that are not aligned with him that need to be changed 
than there were yesterday. So you're so bad and, and you can't do enough good things to show God how good you are. You can't do enough good works or pray enough or show up at church gathering enough. You and I would spend our eternities away from God because of our sin. But Jesus comes. Jesus was never a pervert, but on the cross, he became a pervert. Jesus was never a fornicator, but on the cross, he became a fornicator. Jesus never manipulated people or abused them in relationships and dating. He never raped anyone, but on the cross, he became all those things so that all of those people could be free and could be brought into the family of God and have a deep identity as child of God, son or daughter of God. This is the good news that we celebrate every week that Jesus bore our penalty on the cross. He's our only hope, goes to the grave, three days later rises up so that you and I can be made new. That one day when you and I see Jesus face to face, if you are in Christ, if you have submitted to him and been forgiven, you will be just like him. You will be with him forever. The bride is brought to Jesus. So this restriction isn't restriction, it's to free you. It's to actually give you life. Because I guarantee, guarantee, there's shame and guilt and suffering that comes from doing things outside of this. And if you've messed everything up, the gospel of good news says you can repent. Right now, if you're in this, doing everything the opposite of what I've said, you can turn and find your identity in Jesus for the first time or again. You can be brought into the family of God or you can have your heart oriented toward God again as, no, I want you. I don't wanna sleep with my girlfriend anymore. I don't wanna pursue people in this abusive way. I don't wanna treat people as, as people I can just abuse and swipe whatever way I want and treat people as if they're all there for me so that I can be worshiped. I'm king of this food chart, right? You can repent and turn. That's the good news. And at one level, all of us need to repent. I'll do the full circle. All right, all of us need to repent. All of us need to turn from our bad ideas. I don't know what's happening with my mic. It's like trying to get away from me, running down my shirt, touchy-feely. Um, but this restriction is actually there for our benefits, that we're free to live out and encourage our identity. So here we go. How do we engage in dating? How do we engage in dating? I have, I have eight things. I'm gonna move very quickly. And then we'll get to as many questions as we possibly can, okay? The first thing, how do we engage in dating? First thing is enjoy Jesus and be satisfied with him. Some of you, most of you, enter into relationships because you're not satisfied with your loneliness. And you haven't gone to Jesus and, and you've gone to someone else. Let me tell you, uh, I'm married. I love my wife, crazy about her. She doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. Jerry Maguire, did you ever see that movie? Okay, it was a great movie maybe before your time, whatever. I wanted to be a sports agent because of Jerry Maguire. Um, but Jerry Maguire says this, this thing, Laurel, you complete me. And it's like, oh. And I'm like, you liar. She can't complete you. And you're drunk. You don't even know what you're saying, right? But she can't complete you. My wife can't complete me. A significant other can't complete you, only Jesus can. The psalmist David, you can read about his sexual excursions. And he says in Psalm 42, verse one, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And then the psalmist says, I am satisfied with you. 
Only with you, Jesus, am I satisfied with. This is gonna take spending time with Jesus. Many of you, if statistics speak correctly, many of you are, are Christians, followers of Jesus, but you spend no time with him. You don't remember when the last time is that you read a Bible. I'm putting Bible verses up there. And you're like, I didn't even know that song. Why don't we sing that song? That'd be a weird song to sing together. Song of Solomon is probably not appropriate to sing corporate gatherings, but it's good to read. And you're like, I don't, I don't even know. My encouragement is the Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you through the word and through his spirit. And he wants you to enjoy him. You were made for him, not a significant other. One day you won't be married to the person that you might get married to. That's a weird conversation. Like, are we still gonna be married in heaven? No, like Jesus says that. Oh, how will we know? I don't know. But primarily, we are to enjoy Jesus in our singleness, in our engagement, in our wedding, in our marriage, in our widowedness. We are made to enjoy him. So don't just think about dating. Think about enjoying Jesus. Secondly, pray. You want a spouse? Pray for a spouse. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then he says in another place, you don't have, you don't have because you ask with the wrong motive. So he's just trying to hit all the angles, right? Then he gets into faith and all kinds of stuff. But ask and let your asking reveal your motives. So pray like this, pray honestly. Jesus, I really would love uh, someone to date and I'd love a spouse because I don't think you're enough for me. And I want you to be enough for me. So would you change my motives? Would you change my heart? But would you also bring a spouse along, right? Learn to pray honestly. Lord, I want a really hot wife because I want for everyone to look around and approve of me for my spouse because I'm ugly as all ghetto and my hot wife will bring me into a whole realm that I've never been in before. Uh, Lord, that's wrong. Uh, would you change my heart? You begin to pray like that and your heart gets changed because then, then you want a spouse for the, for the right reason. Then you wanna date for the right reason. The Lord is shaping and changing your heart. But pray, engage with, with Jesus on this. Third, I hear so many people talk about what's wrong with other people. Um, well, I mean, I'm really into her personality, but her right cheekbone, you know, it's like, it just slants. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm like, have you seen your face? Like, <laughs> like dude, you're lucky. You are lucky. It's like, yeah, I know, but like, mirror. Like, let me take a selfie real quick and point this out, right? It's like we focus so often on the, the and, and I do believe you should be attracted to them. And it might not be physical attraction, but there should be attraction. I'll get to that in a minute, hopefully. But focus on being the right spouse, not finding the right spouse. I've got this criteria and it's yay long. And if you can meet all these qualifications, it's like, yeah, but do you meet those qualifications? Are you kind and gentle and patient and humble? Are you generous? Are you, are you going to protect her or protect him from falling into sexual sin? Like what's, what's your list for you look like? So before you create a list for someone else, create a list for yourself. And I would start in 1 Timothy 3 with the qualifications of an elder. Be elder-like. Show up to, to like her house, her dad like, hey, I got 1 Timothy 3 here and I now meet all the qualifications. Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? It's like, that's what I wanna hear when someone shows up at my door one day. 
Focus on being the right spouse. Fourthly, watch married friends. Weird thing happens. People get married and then they're like, well, we were part of the singles group and now we're married, so we need a married group. It's like, that's, that's so weird. That's why we don't do weird things in this church. Well, we do weird things, I'm sure, but we try not to do weird things like that because singles need marrieds and married need singles. And for you singles, you need to find married friends and you need to like sit at their table. You need to watch how they talk to one another. You need to see whether he serves her or she serves him. You need to see the way that they're, they're loving one another or not. And then you need to ask questions. Why do you talk to her like that? Get out of my kitchen. Like, you're lucky I invited, no. Like married people have to be humble and be like, I don't know why I talked to her like that. That was out of line. Or, or I have a question. I wanna be married one day. Why do you yell all the time? I'm like, cause that's my normal voice. <laughs> like, this is just normal. I can't help it. The Lord made me that way. Get out, right? That's, you're lucky. Um, but married, you need to invest in singles and don't make it weird. Don't be like, you're so lucky that we're inviting you into this married single disciple. Like it can get weird, all right? Don't make it weird. And, and singles, make sure you're asking lots of questions. Um, and singles, I remember being a single, watching my married friends. I'm like, voicemail all the time. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, hi, this is Matt. Read the Song of Solomon. Leave a message, right? I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm like, why don't you have any time for me? He's like, oh, I'm married. I'm like, man, these sellouts. They get married and they have no time for me. He's like, have you seen her? Like, I don't have any time for you anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm married. I'm like, I get it. I get it. But singles, you need to understand that, that married people change and you will too. All right? So they will change. But watch married friends. Fifth, get to know people as friends and in groups. Don't be so quick to make this new dating thing or the thing that you wanna do one-on-one -on -one and like, we're just gonna work this out. Um, I don't, here's, here's a confession. I don't always trust people when they tell me information and neither should you. Sometimes people, even Christians lie. And so you get in a room with a person one-on-one -on -one and, and you guys are knocking out future together and then you present it to the community, this is what we're gonna do. And we're like, these are really bad ideas. And they're like, oh, the community doesn't approve of us. How do we find a new community that will? It's like, get to know people as friends in groups because going on dates is fake, strange, awkward. It's an audition. There's pressure to it. Marriage is ordinary. Not every day do I wake up with butterflies moving in my stomach like, oh, love of my life, you know? Like, and she doesn't either. Yesterday I'm reading a book and she looks over at me and, uh, and I see it out of the corner of my eye and she's like, wow, the back of your hair is sticking straight out. I'm like, I did that just for you, baby. You know, like... It's, it's not butterflies all the time. And so we go on dates and we're always looking for butterflies, but you have to see people in the ordinary things. And so meeting people in groups and being friends with them takes away that pressure. It allows for the, the, the friends to vet the person as well. And they can see the chemistry that's going on or not going on. They can be the ones to be like, bro, you're a creep. Like, don't go near her like that. This is too early on in the process. Good thing poking is not legal in Facebook. Actually, it is. I got poked recently. Like, that's still a thing. Don't poke me on Facebook. It's weird. It's, All right. Um, now, 
It doesn't mean that if you do things in groups and as friends, you can't ever hang out one-on-one or go out for coffee or for, for a beer or something like that. But the majority should be in groups. The majority should just be in groups. You're gonna get to know people so much better watching them with other people. Is your girl a flirt? Does she flirt with everyone? You're not gonna know that if she's just like batting her eyes at you. Like she might have the lazy eye that's, that's checking out people, right? Or like, oh, watch this. I'll get us into this place. Like I, I'm getting out. Like I know I do not wanna be part of this relationship. Uh, six, practice. You have to practice dating. Okay, here's a radical thing, all right? This still exists in the world where you call someone on the phone and ask them to go on a date. You talk to them face to face. Here's the crazy thing about our church. Oh, we have so many singles in our church. And I meet with people and they say things like, I just wish that I could find someone. Like, I will walk off the stage and put you next to someone right now. It can happen now. Like, this is crazy to me. We have so many people and it's like, well, I don't know what to say. It's like, hi, my name is so-and-so, you're pretty. It's like, okay, good start, you know? Like, what, what group are you on? Here's a really holy way. Oh, do you serve here? What, what morning do you serve? Oh, okay, blue team. Like, if I'm dating, I'm always serving on the blue team. Always. And I'm like, you want to serve in the red and green too? Like Tim Hortons, the other, like we got to make sure, like I'm looking for those opportunities. Guys, they're out there. It's not rocket science. You're at home Saturday night going through whatever dating app and it's like Sunday morning, come early. Serve the church, find a spouse, all right? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, you have to ask, all right? I, I'm gonna skip over stuff I was gonna say on, on that. Um, actually, no, be wise. Be wise as you're practicing dating. Be wise. Don't, don't call up at 11.30 at night and be like, hey, so none of my roommates are here and uh, I, I have this, you know, this bird box movie, you know, like it's gonna be great. Why don't we come over and watch it together? Um, probably not the best idea. It's like, well, let's make it really scary. Let's turn out the lights and use blankets, like, you are idiots, you know? Like, don't put yourself in these positions. Dating should be fun and it should be clear. You should not need to be like, we're gonna have that what we are conversation. It should be, I know what we're doing all the time. This is where we're going in this relationship. We're dating because we believe that dating leads to marriage and we wanna figure out if we're going to be married and have lots of conversations. If it doesn't work, acknowledge this. Be like, that didn't work. Oh man, I'm so glad that we got to know one another and it just doesn't work. And it's objective reasons. It's not like, I don't know, I'm not feeling the feelings because one day you won't feel the feelings anyway. And the phase should last as long as it must, but not longer. Like you don't need to date someone for nine years. I remember with Jess, I'm like, hey, uh, how long before you think we could get married? And it's like, and I didn't even know her middle name probably at that point. Like I just moved fast, right? And I knew, knew what I was looking for and I didn't want for dating to last longer than it needed to. Uh, next, I'm gonna skip that. Commit, commit. Committing is a commitment for the rest of your life. And I would say this, don't commit with touch, words or emotions without also giving your life. So let me tell, I, I could tell all the stories of my broken dating things as a non-Christian or a Christian, but I'll tell you uh, 
Jess and my story real quick. Uh, I, I knew I didn't want to screw it up with Jess. I knew I wanted to marry her. She was the one. Um, I didn't want to tell her all that though until I was ready to show her that. So when I knew that I was ready to marry her, um, I wanted to do it all at once. So she was visiting me in Maine and, um, and we were sitting on my couch and we were watching some weird, um, it was in my parents' basement, right? So like as weird as it gets, cause that's where she was staying. And I didn't trust myself. So I had her staying at my parents and I was staying at my grandparents, right? So I like just didn't trust myself at all. We're watching this thing and, and, I, and I kissed her. I gave her a kiss and I said, uh, hey, I, I love you right? Come out of the first kiss, say, I love you. And I said, tomorrow we're going to go look at rings all at once. And this is not like, I know it's humorous, but it's not humorous. Like this is the way that I think it should go down. Like everything happens. I'm not going to lead you on with kisses. I'm not going to get you close with that. I'm not going to lead you towards something with physical affection that I'm not able to, to fulfill my promise on. So I think you don't have to agree with me on this, but I think everyone should do it like that. That you in some way bring all things together. It's like physical, emotional, and relational commitment all at once. And I had already talked to her dad ahead of time. So then it was like, we were ready to go. And that's how you get a wife. Um, so I think we were watching some weird Halloween thing and I'm like all nervous, sweaty hand. Like, no, my hands don't sweat like this always. Yeah. Anyway, uh, last, the last step in this is uh, once you finally get through those, get counseling because you're a mess. It's not just your future spouse, it's you. So get robust gospel counseling. Get robust gospel counseling by those whose lives have been shaped by Jesus. We offer that as a church. Uh, we offer counseling ahead of time. If you're like, we're thinking about this. I remember we had a couple that came to us and they're like, we're thinking about dating. Would you counsel us? Because we don't wanna waste our dating and we don't wanna just jump into this. And I'll say this to wrap up my, my part, that there's hope for anyone who's done anything outside of what we've talked about. Jesus was... This woman was brought to Jesus. She was caught in the act of adultery. The, the leaders were asking if Jesus was gonna stone her. And, uh, and he, he said, you know, he who's without sin, let him be the first one to cast stones. Everyone walks away. And Jesus says, where, where are your condemners? She's like, oh, they've all left. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either. Jesus was taking her adultery that she had committed onto himself. And he was gonna take that to the cross so that she could go free. And he said to her, go and sin no more. Like you're forgiven. So there's hope for anyone who struggled in any of this stuff. Don't sit in shame. Don't sit in shame. Uh, so my time is up, but I, I just want to do a few questions. Is that okay? Someone said no. Uh, I, okay. Uh, all right, so a few questions. Um, can, can a Christian uh, live with, with boyfriend, girlfriend? Uh, before, before being, being married. And I would say it depends. If you're talking about like, you know, you live on the third floor in their parents' house and she lives on the, the first basement floor or something and there's like a, a gated community in between, then I think like that's a great, it's a great idea. Um, but, but I would say probably not. And, and I don't have this like biblical thing to be like, thou shall not live with someone before you're married. I would just say it's unwise. I would say it's unwise. Uh, in, in Corinth, uh, 
people were using the, the thing, the, this phrase, all things are lawful. And then Paul says, yeah, but not all things are, are helpful. So you might be saying, well, there's no Bible verse about this. And I would say, well, is that helpful? Is it helpful to live with one another? And you're like, well, yeah, financially. Well, it's like, figure something else out. You're big boys and girls or big boy and girl. You can figure out the finances part of it, all right? That it's not about convenience, it's about your witness. So you're witnessing to people about Jesus and oh, we love Jesus, he changes your life. And it's like, oh, who's your roommate? I'm oh, my girlfriend. Oh, I, I thought like the Bible talked about, oh, there's no chapter and verse about it. It's like, yeah, but don't you guys like get it on? Like, how do you stay? Oh no, we have separate twin beds. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, so you're that person that can do that. Oh, neat. I'm so glad to have met you. You're a rare species, right? So it's unwise. It's unwise. I would never counsel anyone to do that. Um, it's happened before where we were, we were doing pre-marriage counseling, uh, my wife and I with a couple. It came to us. She had become a Christian. He wasn't. They were living together. I wanted to tell them right away, first session, like, you're wrong. This is wrong. Separate. Like, I, I like to do those types of things. Uh, and the spirit of God says no. And I'm like, oh, I'm listening to demons now. I don't know the spirit's voice because I want to give unbiblical information. The spirit said no. So just pray. So I prayed and I, I addressed it, but I didn't call them to anything. I met with the guy two weeks later after a second session. And like the third session, I was going to be like, okay, now here's the line. You have to whatever. And he said, oh, it's so weird. He said, I was praying the other day because I told him to pray. And he said, uh, I heard from God that I shouldn't have sex with her anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like what else? He's like, yeah, we shouldn't be intimate at all except spiritually. Like we should be praying together and reading the Bible together. And I'm like, wow, okay. He's like, oh yeah. Also, uh, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again. I think I'm a Christian now. Oh, okay. And it was this really strange thing that I didn't jump to like, you need to separate for this because I wasn't dealing with someone who was even a Christian. It's like this guy needed the gospel before we could call him to anything else. So my answer to that first question is, is no. Uh, another question that comes up is, is there a one that like, you know, oh, I'm waiting for the one. And I would say the one becomes the one when you marry them. Um, and probably you can find someone out there, even after you're married, that you're like, oh, I could see our skills and abilities actually lining up better than the person I'm married to. You could probably do that. And, and then it's like, no, I missed the one. I, I got with the wrong one. And it's like, no, they're the one. They're the one that you've become one flesh with. They're the one that you're now covenanting and committing with, that you're going to, in sickness and in health, fight with and fight for this marriage, right? So the, you know the person is the one when you're married to them. So there's that. Do you need to feel butterflies to keep dating someone? No. Um, the idea of... Um, Oh, but they're like a brother or sister to me. As long as they're not your brother or sister, uh, like that's a good thing. If they are, like we have to go way back in the sermon. Like I don't even think I hit that. Um, but the idea is that when I married Jess, I wanted to marry my best friend. I wanted to become such good friends with her that it wasn't just this butterfly kisses person that I was moving through life with. It was my best friend. So no, you don't need to feel butterflies to keep dating someone. Um, 
Can a Christian date a non-Christian? That came up already. If dating is prepping for marriage, uh, then no, it doesn't make any sense to prepare for something that that person's not actually prepared for. I could share a story, but I don't have time to do that. Um, Can a Christian go on dates to get to know someone? Um, As I said, I'm really convinced that relationships are best started in community where other people have eyes on it. So if you are getting to know someone by going on dates, make sure they're coming into your city group. You have a mentor, bring them over. Married couples, like show up at my doorstep. It's like, oh, hi. It's like, hey, I brought that person I wanted to date with because you told me to in your sermon. I'd be like, great, great. We'll trade babysitting for counseling. It'll be wonderful, as long as you're not a creep. Um, And then the last question, there's a lot, um, but the last question that I'll I'll do is, uh, how do you know that you're supposed to be married to someone if there's, or how do you know if there's sexual chemistry if you don't try the person out first? I would just say, like, there are many, many studies, Christian, non-Christian, on sexual satisfaction. And do you know who are the most sexually satisfied people? Middle-aged Christian people. No joke. Middle-aged Christian people. The majority of them waited to have sex until they got married. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. How, how do they know there's gonna be chemistry? It's like practice. Like, You have all your life to practice. And good theology says, I need to serve you. How do you want to be served tonight, right? It's like, you get to work this out. So you, sexual chemistry is actually a really bad way to tell if you should marry someone because they're going to grow, they're going to change. You have babies, bodies change. All these things are different, right? And so because that person becomes the standard of beauty for you, Right? I remember saying to Jess when, we were, when she was going to have Nehemiah, she's like, oh, I'm so big. I'm like, baby, I'm so into pregnant women right now. I'm like, I am so into pregnant women. Like, this is amazing. And then after, I'm like, I am so into women that just had a baby. Right? Like, you are, like, you are hot as you rock the baby. Like, I am into you. She is my standard of beauty. None of you are more beautiful than she is right? And, and that's not an awe thing. It's a thing of like, that's what your man or your woman should be saying to you. And you get all of your life to grow in sexual chemistry together. And I'll, I'll end with this one. And I've said it, but I want to say it again. What do I do if I mess all this up? Am I too broken for anyone to ever want me? And as I shared the story about the woman caught in adultery, and I shared about Jesus saying that I don't condemn you either. If you are a follower of Jesus, in Jesus, you have no condemnation. The shame and the guilt and the brokenness and the lies that you're hearing, those aren't from the spirit of God. The spirit of God is not taking your face and shoving it into the things that you've done in the past. He's taking your your face, cleaning it up and, and helping you to see Jesus who knows you, he searched you, he loves you, and he's for you. And so in this, we all have to repent. Married people, you need to repent and keep dating your spouse. 
Don't give up dating them. Don't be like, we made it. Yes, awesome. We just need to finish well. It's like, no, keep growing in love and sexual chemistry. Read Song of Solomon together on Valentine's Day. It'll spice things up. Tell your wife that her neck is like the Tower of David. It'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. So I'm gonna pray. Uh, we will do, I'll do question and answers uh, after uh, in that area. And I'll be down here. Uh, if you just wanna be prayed for, uh, you have questions, uh, I'd love to answer those. And so we're gonna respond in just a minute. Let me set this up before I pray. Okay, we're gonna respond. Some of you, I would say all of us need to repent. That's the call. You turn from things that you were believing, turn back to Jesus. Maybe some of you are here, you need to meet Jesus. You get to do that this morning. You can meet him. Uh, as we're singing out, our declarations of who Jesus is and now who we are. Uh, we're invited to take of the bread and cup. It represents Jesus' body being broken, his blood shed for you. We have a black box on this table right up here that we give of our, of our offerings because Jesus, we want him to have our hearts and he has our money already, it's his. And so he wants us to be generous so that more people can hear about who he is. Uh, and then if you need to be prayed for, you're hearing from God, uh, I would love to hear about that. So I'm going to pray. I'll invite the band to come up as I'm doing that. So Jesus, uh, we love you. Thank you uh, that we can uh, hear from you, that we can be comforted with your gospel no matter where we're at in life. Thank you that, that you are for those, those who are broken, those who are in bad situations now. Uh, you're calling them out of those. You're, you're calling them to uh, be offended with your good news so that they can be living out of that good news. And I pray that we would respond with glad hearts this morning, that we would be excited about who you are and that you would love us so much that you would come and call us out in certain things and help us to see who we really are in you. So help us to celebrate these realities this morning. We love you, amen.